0: This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and I am your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. I bring you this message of hope today from Pensacola, Florida. This is report number two, dated April 16th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I bid God's grace and peace to all my fellow sojourners here on this earthly plane. I remain sound in body, alert in mind, and energized in spirit. I am pleased to bring you this report of my recent labors in the Lord. Here is a synopsis. I've been preaching about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Neither of which, by the way, should be limited to April 15th. I've been reading American Prophet by Bruce Feiler. And now Moses is my very favorite American. I've been hearing we need to build walls to keep out the bad guys, and I agree. But not for the reason you think. I've been playing No Thanks, a game that has absolutely no business being as fun as it is. Are you ready? Here we go. this is what I've been preaching. Well, it is that time of year again, isn't it? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. We hear that from time to time when we do not especially feel like doing so in a financial way. I just rendered to Caesar a big check just a few moments ago, and I'm not necessarily happy about it, but I did what I had to do. That's our job as citizens and let's let's be kind about this. Jesus wrote or rather Jesus said what he said in a, an environment where the government was not nearly as kind or supportive or encouraging to the people of God as our government is. Our government has its problems, no doubt about that. The people in government no doubt have their problems. But let's let's be fair about this. Caesar today is much more kind toward the things of God than Caesar was 2,000 years ago. And we can be thankful for that. and We should be thankful for that. And it certainly shouldn't discourage us in our pursuit of what Jesus has told us to do in every aspect of our life, including and particularly regard for government. When the people came to him uh, asking about rendering to Caesar, clearly they had an agenda. The people who asked the specific question were trying to get Jesus in trouble, but they were asking a question that was relevant to the time. There were people who had legitimate ethical considerations and concerns about about giving financial support to the people who were crushing them, who were robbing them of their dignity, of their life from time to time. And the idea of paying them for the privilege was not especially on their, on their docket. And there were others, of course, who realized if we don't do this, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so either way, you're going to get in trouble. And that's the way they wanted to get Jesus into trouble. This is what they typically tried to do in one form or another and it never worked of course. Jesus was always too smart for them. He was always keeping his eye on the on the ball as it were. He's not going to get distracted by these petty considerations. Nobody's going to go to heaven based on how they can accurately answer this question. Uh, and therefore Jesus puts the attention where it needs to be in this situation. And we usually emphasize the first part of that of that phrase render unto Caesar and rightfully so. We need to emphasize that. But in the context, clearly what Jesus is saying is you have not been rendering to God the things that are God's. And the idea of them trying to trap Jesus and discredit Jesus, and presumably, at least if they do a good enough job, then they don't have to do what Jesus told them to do. They don't have to worry about walking the, uh, the extra mile. They don't have to worry about turning the other cheek. They don't have to worry about loving their enemies or any of the other uh, possibly objectionable things that Jesus said over the years. They, they can just dismiss him and, and get on about their life that didn't involve Jesus before and won't involve Jesus later. That's the way that they wanted to live. And that is a rather easy approach. That is a, a convenient approach, and it continues to be used even today. If we can figure out some kind of loophole, some kind of gimmick, some kind of trick where, you know, we. They can't properly answer how many angels are in the head on the head of a pin. Therefore, I don't have to listen to what Jesus says, and that's just—it's ludicrous to do that. And generally speaking, the the level of attention that Jesus pays to such things is pretty minimal, and the level of attention that we need to pay to such things uh, should also be pretty minimal. The main point that we need to get across is the same point that Jesus got across. That is, while you are trying to work all these things out, while you're looking for your version of truth, do not forget what is really important in the world, and that is to render to God the things that are God's, which is clearly something that the Pharisees had a lot of trouble with, that the the religious leaders of the day, Jesus spends the entirety of Matthew chapter 23 lambasting them for their, their hypocrisy and their attitude how they really were not drawing closer to God, nor were they encouraging anybody else to. They may have given the appearance of doing so. They may have looked pious. They may have looked religious. And after all, they, they should. That was their effort. That was what they were trying to do. But they were not rendering to God the things that were God's. And there are any number of examples of this. And, and what we need to do in our life as we are approaching Jesus Christ, as we are trying to be Christians in this world, we need to make sure that we render to God the things that are God's as well. When Jesus speaks on a topic like marriage, for instance, if he tells us what marriage is supposed to be, we listen to that. We pay regard to that. We do what he tells us to do. We don't pick nits. We don't look for loopholes. It's, you know, Read Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 12. It's not especially complicated. It's not especially confusing. It's just a matter of will. Are, are you prepared to do this? And Jesus says in that context, some people are not going to. Some people are not prepared to receive this. But we are, because we're his disciples, and therefore we are willing and eager, in fact, to submit to his rule with regard to that, with regard to service, uh, living a life of service, having this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, uh, Jesus is one who is preeminent in his example of putting others before himself, And, and that's what we need to be doing. This is the respect that we owe to Jesus to do what he did, to live the life that he lived, when... He tells the disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. They're in John chapter 13. He's saying there, that if I live a life of service, if I am washing your feet, you ought to be prepared to wash other people's feet also. Serving is not always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be comfortable, but you can do it and you must do it. It's part of your proper service, not just your fellow man, but your service to God as well. And by giving proper service to Jesus, giving proper service to God in everything that we do, We avoid the pitfalls that we see in Malachi chapter 1. Where is my honor? Where is my honor? We give God the honor that he is due. Because that's part of being a Christian. That's really central. That's at the core of what a Christian is. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. I don't do as much reading maybe as I, as I could or as I should. I'm, I'm in a book surra- a room surrounded by books here, but a lot of them I haven't read and a lot of them I haven't read in a while. But one book that has drawn my attention in recent days is America's Prophet. which is written by Bruce Feiler, and I, I don't share fellowship with him. I don't know what exactly his background is. But what I do know is that he has an intense reverence for the Moses story. And for, for the nation of the United States of America. And this book has done a, a tremendous job of opening my eyes, not just to the American story, but to the Moses story also. And it's really fascinating. Uh, we, the Moses story, the traditional Moses story, the idea of coming from nowhere and rising to prominence and encountering opposition and, and enduring through all these difficult times and finding strength in adversity. And showing yourself to be a leader, uh, sometimes at over people who do know, do not want to be led, people who are are pushing back against your leadership. But ultimately, in the end, you become absolutely beloved by the people, and tragically, wind up just a little bit short of your finished uh, your your target, your your hope, your aspiration, what you want more than anything else in the world. This story plays out in various ways through American history. Various ones, great, most of the, the real heroes of American history, in fact, have been compared at some point to Moses. George Washington, uh, most prominently. Uh, George Washington is a, an absolute Moses character. Abraham Lincoln. Harriet Tubman was called the, the Moses of her people. Martin Luther King. you know, And on and on we can go this this idea of leading the people in the way that they should go and and stopping just short george washington never saw the uh, the nation as it was going to be he was never going to see that abraham lincoln never saw the, the reconstituted united states as he wanted to he was never going to see that martin luther king was never going to see everybody being judged by the content of the character instead of the, the color of their skin, at least not in, in completed form, not as he anticipated, not as a, a uniform rule across the United States, as he wanted to. And he was never going to. That that's He knew that. He said that. And most of these other characters did as well. But you learn in the Moses story that it's not nearly so much about crossing the finish line as it is giving your best effort, devoting yourself wholly to the task, Going where God is is asking you to go and having confidence that the task is going to be completed in God's way and in God's time. And it's not my job to finish the job. It's God's job to finish the job. It's my job to just do the best I can while I'm here. And if I don't get everything finished in my lifetime, that's okay, because God is the one who ultimately gives the increase. We're told in First Corinthians chapter three. I can have confidence in that. And therefore and that's a blessing to me because I know for a fact, no matter how many years I spend as a parent, for instance, I'm never going to teach my children everything that I want to teach them. No matter how long I preach the gospel, I'm not going to be able to communicate effectively and completely all the things that I want to for the spiritual growth of the of the brethren. I, I'm never going to write enough books. I'm never going to preach enough sermons. I'm never going to read enough. it I'm never going to get to the point, and especially this is the case, with my own personal spiritual development. And I know that, that this is the case for you as well. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that. That this is we're supposed to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we work on that, and we... we proceed along, light. and some days we think we're doing pretty good, and then some days we take steps backward, and then we take more steps forward, and then maybe a step sideways, and, and we're, we're trying to progress along the goal. We're trying to walk in the light as he is in the light, and, and some days it feels like we're doing pretty good, and then some days it doesn't, and through it all, we are beat about the head with the increasing knowledge, the increasing confidence that we are never going to get this right. We, we are never going to finish. We're never going to cross over the Jordan. And hopefully, we come to grips with this. We come to a, a point of peace in this. We're not satisfied, we, and we certainly don't quit trying. But we wrap our minds around the idea that instead of becoming perfect and actually landing on the other side where I am absolutely exactly the kind of Christian that I want to be. Instead, what I need to do is take joy and comfort in the knowledge and the confidence that Jesus is going to complete this journey for me. That as I walk in the light, as he is in the light, I do have fellowship, and the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse me of all sins. The things that I do wrong in this life will be forgiven if I'm living my life in trusting and obedient faith. That doesn't let me off the hook for not being perfect, of course. But it does ease my conscience a little bit. It does put, you know, helps me sleep at night. Knowing that it's about walking in the wilderness. It's about putting one foot in front of the other in Satan's world. Trying to do the best that I can with whatever time I have. And if I never get to the stage where I want to be, if I never accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish you know maybe it's good for my ego maybe that's why Moses didn't get to cross over because he took too much upon himself he gave too much credit to himself and Aaron as they struck the rock are we going to bring water from this rock for you hopefully we can be more noble than that anyway that's what I've been reading for what I've been hearing. So word has it back from my home state of Texas that they're talking about building a wall along the southern border of the United States. Anybody else heard about this? It seems like it's been in the news a little bit that we're talking about building up walls to prohibit entrance from one place to another. Now, I'm not going to get political in this space. I have my political views. I'm sure you do as well. I, I now catch me on a good day, I I may share them with you. I'm not going to share them here. At least I'm going to try not to very much. That's not my purpose. That's not the, the task that I've set upon myself here. We're talking about being citizens of heaven here, not citizens of the United States or whatever other nation you may be a part of. We're talking about living in Satan's world and trying to elevate ourselves above that, considering spiritual things rather than carnal things. You can consider carnal things on on your own time, and I will too, but just not in this space. I bring all of the the subject up here, the subject of walls, because the notion of walls is a a very Bible-centered concept here. And I'm not trying to, to pit Democrats against Republicans in the Lord's Church here. That's not my point here. I make application in, in that arena as you like but what we're talking about here is the city of god we're talking about fellowship with god we turn to revelation 21 and 22 we see this this grand depiction of fellowship completed and perfect fellowship with the god of heaven and it's depicted in the image of this city new jerusalem and jerusalem has walls and jerusalem's walls prohibit entrance to those ones on the outside. The faithless, the cowardly, the vile, the the violent, the murderers, everyone who loves and practices a lie. All those people described in Revelation 21, 8 and in other lists of the deeds of the flesh and such, uh, these ones are kept outside of fellowship with God, deliberately kept outside. That's God's plan. You may or may not agree with God's plan. Certainly there are a lot of people who don't. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't. But what we need to do as citizens of heaven, what we need to do as people who love the Lord, people who are devoted to his things, people who are walking by faith, is to accept that his rules are better than our rules. And therefore, we need to pursue his rules, including and particularly when they don't especially make sense to us. And when we talk about walls, we talk about building up a a distinction between our territory and their territory. That is fundamental with regard to spiritual truths, such has always been the case. This is the most important thing about building walls, spiritual walls, because there is a border between the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There has to be. There are the two kingdoms. Paul writes about that in Colossians 1 verse 13. We've been transferred out of the one into the other, into the the kingdom of the son of his love this is where we are now as citizens of heaven as god's people we are in jesus kingdom we used to be in satan's kingdom how many kingdoms are there there's only two we're told that over and over again there is no demilitarized zone between i've decided not to pick up sides i I don't want to be on the devil's side i don't want to be on jesus i'm going to be on on uh, my own side here in the middle you don't have that option there are only sheep and goats there's only the right side and the left side There is a border that's placed between the two. And there is no overlap either. Well, I'm I'm in this this mutually uh, accessible zone. There's no such thing. There's only one master that you can hold. Luke 16 verse 13 tells us that. You can't serve two masters. No house is going to be divided against itself. Matthew 22 verse 25 tells us that. And certainly Jesus' house is not going to be divided against itself. There is a border. And that border is baptism. We'll just put it to you bluntly. When you see a concrete act making a distinction between a child of the devil and a child of God, it's always baptism. Whether it's a, a historic act, like in Acts 22, verse 16, when Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle telling his story, tells how he was told to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Whether it's t- a doctrinal point, like Romans chapter 6, and verse 3 and 4, where we're buried with Jesus into baptism, or uh, Galatians 3, 27. We clothe ourselves with Christ in baptism. This happens at that point. And I'm strapped for any passage anywhere in the scriptures that describes any other point in history where an individual stops being the devil's and becomes God's other than at baptism. We're not saying that other things aren't important. There are certainly other steps in this, in this journey. There are other necessary elements. You have to have grace, obviously. You have to have the blood of Jesus. You have to repent. You have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord there are other realities here but in in terms of the border in terms of moving from one into the other it always happens at baptism this is why it's so important that we talk about baptism this is why we stress it so much because and this is probably why in the devil's own way some people push back against baptism because they don't want to acknowledge this it's a subtle form of rebellion and maybe not all that subtle We need to quit rebelling. We need to accept God's border as God has laid it out. And we also, by the way, need to put up doors. That's also why we have walls. We have walls so we can put up doors. Yes, keeping the bad guys on the outside is a good thing. But we need to provide an avenue where the bad guys can become good guys and come into the city, come into fellowship. And that door is Jesus. That only door is Jesus. John 10 verse 1. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said so himself, John 14, verse 6. Through Jesus, we can have access to this fellowship, but only through Jesus. So yes, build the wall. Defend the wall. Fight to strengthen the wall between evil and good. But build the door also. Find a way to turn lost souls into saved souls. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. If you want to stop listening at this point and go your way, I hope that you have found the message instructive, inspiring, and most of all, faithful to God's word. Please don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, and follow. But, if you stick around for a few more minutes, I would like to share with you a way to amuse yourself in a wholesome manner while waiting here in Satan's world. And perhaps pick up a spiritual point or two in the process. This is what I've been playing. I'm a fan of big games. I like components. I like weight. I like beautiful artwork. I like uh, sturdy construction. I like something that looks good on a shelf. Which makes me wonder why exactly it is that I like No Thanks, because No Thanks is none of those things. Not at all. No Thanks, if you don't know, is as a card game. It's a small, you know, little card box kind of thing that has a, a small deck of I think thirty three cards and a bag of little plastic chips and that's it that's all there is to it it is probably the ugliest game that we own there's nothing on it that remotely resembles art the components themselves are are incredibly cheap and 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 I don't mean just inexpensive I mean cheap they're they're not good at all and yet I love no thanks It's a tremendous game. I I love to play it because No Thanks has the one thing going for it that all important, all games that I like have, and that is that it contains significant choices, important choices, the things that you do matter all the time. All that it is, basically, is you put the stack of cards out there in the middle of the table. You have a bunch of people around the table. You take uh, some of the cards out for randomness sake, and then you... Just decide whether you're going to take the card or not. That's all it is. Cards are worth points. The The cards have numbers on them, and the cards are worth the number of points that is on the card. If it says 9, it's worth 9 points. If it says 20, it's worth 20 points. And car, and points are bad. You don't want to collect points. So the card flips over and says, do I want 20 points or do not do I not want 20 points? Well, of course I don't. So I'll pass. I'll say no thanks. I put a little chip on it, and and it moves around. And it keeps going and keeps going until somebody takes the card. Now, you're going to run out of chips eventually, of course, and so you're going to have to take cards. So the question is not whether you're going to take a card, it's which one you're going to take and when you're going to take it. Now, there's a nice little twist in that the chips that you put on the cards are themselves going to negate points. So a 20-point card with 10 chips on it is only worth 10 points. So that might be worth taking, especially considering the fact that the cards will stack if you have a 20 point card and a 21 point card they go together there's no gap between them those that the cards together as many of them as, as there are are only worth the smallest number in that series so if you have a 21 and a 22 and a 24 and the 23 card comes out you can save yourself 24 points by taking that card you want to take that card but you might not want to take it right away you might want to let it go around the table a little bit collect a few more chips there so you can actually lower your score because you took a card usually taking the card is a bad thing but you can turn it into a good thing and that's it that's the entire game you are now an expert on no thanks that's all there is to it i don't know if i can completely adequately explain a game to you in two minutes on a video or an audio but but that's all there is to it there's nothing more to it than that and just the simple fact that a a basic game that takes five minutes seven minutes ten minutes to play something like that has interesting choices it is basic it is fundamental but what there is there is interesting it's good it's worthwhile i find that incredibly challenging i find that incredibly interesting it doesn't turn me off to to bigger games it doesn't turn me off to more interesting and more uh, challenging activities but it's certainly valuable in and of itself and I think about games like that when I try to communicate to people the, the basics, and the, the fundamentals of serving Jesus Christ, and how how wonderful it is at its core, because it's really not all that complicated at its core. If you have a, a basic concept of faith, if you have your your foundation right, if you are set on the right path, then you can build something real there, just with those basics. You can Have a profitable time before the Lord, simply reveling in the joy that is yours as a Christian by thanking him for the privilege of worship, thanking him for the salvation of your soul, thanking him for the death of Jesus on the cross, or participating in in activities that serve others, that, that build up the faith by reading your Bible, by doing the things that, Peter talks about in 2nd Peter chapter 2 growing these uh, Christian graces in you add to your faith virtue and knowledge and and self-control and patience godliness brotherly kindness charity if these things are in you and they abound they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this is what practicing our service will do it starts basic and we embrace the basic but we grow in our understanding. We grow in our abilities. Never forgetting, though, how wonderful it is to sip the milk that the Hebrew writer talks about. That that pure milk of the word that Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we may grow thereby. It's it's good for established Christians, even, to appreciate the basics, to appreciate what really is at the core of our service. Because really we can get caught up in the in the more elaborate minutiae of the the text, of service, practical applications and such, and get so far down the road, so caught up in the the details that we actually forget what it really means to be a Christian. It it might be that a, a novice Christian, someone just fresh out of the water, has a better understanding of what's really important than we do. And we guard against that by going back to the basics, by emphasizing in our minds, in our hearts, what it really means to serve God. We never get too developed to give thanks. We never get too developed to worship. We never get too developed to read our Bible. Are you ever going to read your Bible to such a degree, to so, such an elevated level that you don't ever have to read it again? No, you're never going to have to do that. You're never going to be able to do that. And what a delight it is to know that we can open up the text at the most fundamental level and read any part of it and grow and revel in the joy that it is to be a child of God it's a blessing to go back to the basics every once in a while and remind ourselves that serving Jesus at its core is not complicated. It's just a matter of whether you are or are not going to live your life in faith. And if you will choose to live your life in faith, if you will walk in the light as he is in the light, if you will adopt his character for your own or try to at least, then you can embark on a lifestyle that will be rich and full and vibrant at its very core. And that ultimately, of course, will, develop into something more, something bigger, something deeper, something that you can share with others. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. If you've profited from your time here, I have a few requests of you. Please pray for me and for this work. We need more citizens of heaven and our prayer is that we be part of achieving that objective. Please subscribe to this podcast and give us a good rating on iTunes and other sites that allow you to do such things, and spread the word to your friends. Please follow my work through my website, www.halhammons.com. There you'll find links to articles, videos, and books of mine. Seek me out on social media. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and especially Facebook. Look for me and for my pages, The Final Word, The Preacher, and 20 pages a week. Until next time... Be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.